Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kibbe. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. It's Friday, and you know what that means. You're in store for another fun-filled episode, yes, of The Brian Nichols Show. Now, if you're a first-time listener, you can expect us every Friday morning at 6 a.m. I mean, come on, what better way to start your weekend than with an episode of The Brian Nichols Show, which, I mean, come on, it's sure to educate, enlighten, and inform. Just ask the hundreds of, well, I say, not me, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds slash thousands of you listeners out there who regularly subscribe here to The Brian Nichols Show and download the show on a daily basis. So first and foremost, thank you to all of you and to the new audience members. I'm looking forward to uh, getting to know you and having some conversations with some great people about the issues you care about. So an issue you care about, I'm sure, climate change, global warming, what the heck is going on, right? We look at what's going on right now across the world and we have a global climate strike. You got Greta, Greta, <laughs> Greta? Greta Thunberg from Sweden um, who went to the United Nations and basically uh, excoriated all of us for destroying her future. And then of course you have the squad with their Green New Deal, aka essentially taking over the entire United States government to promote their ideologies. But I digress. So today I want to have Steve Malloy from junkscience.com to really discuss this from a perspective of someone who is not in the mainstream, someone who is considered to be a, you know, the mainstream media, a a climate denier. So I want to have Steve on to just get a different point of view, a different narrative about something I honestly, I I dare say a lot of you guys share in in terms of your beliefs. So Steve Malloy joins the show uh, as the former Trump EPA transition team member. uh, And we discuss a variety of things as it pertains to global warming, uh, discussing the 97% statistic uh, that is out there of, you know, the scientists agreeing that humans are uh, causing man-made global warming. Uh, We discuss the recent global climate strikes, Greta Thunberg, the the Green New Deal. Uh, We discuss uh, alternative forms of energy. And then we discuss the elephant in the room. What's the real goal of those who are in the more pro-Green New Deal camp. So without spoiling too much, on to the show! Steve Malloy, here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Absolutely, well, thank you for joining me, and uh, I, I really want to reach out to you this week, Steve, because right now, climate is being discussed all over the world. Climate change, climate strikes, you have Greta Thunberg, she's going uh, to the United Nations giving her speeches, and I thought, you know, why not have the guy who was the... The, the thinker of the term junk science and the website junkscience.com to come on. Let's discuss this with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. So first, Steve, let's kind of introduce who you are to my audience if they're not familiar. Okay, so I'm Steve Malloy. I publish junkscience.com. I've been doing that since 1996, like the dawn of the internet. 
Um, I've been working on environmental issues for just about 29 years now. I have a background in science and statistics. I'm a, a lawyer as well. Uh, I work on the Trump EPA transition team. Um, you know, I just, uh, I have worked on all sorts of environmental public health issues, uh, and especially as they mix in with uh, business. And, um, you know, <laughs> I've been doing it for such a long time, I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> well, how about this? Let's kind of go towards your, your kind of your baby, right? 1996, junkscience.com. And you were pretty much like the, the person that came up with this term, junk science. So, uh, if you could, let's kind of outline what is junk science, as Steve Malloy uh, would have it. Okay, well, I didn't invent the term. The term was sort of an old term used by uh, lawyers in toxic tort cases uh, since the 1960s, but it really wasn't in you know, everyday lexicon. Um, but I kind of popularized it. So junk science, in, in my view, is bad science used to advance uh, an agenda, one that's often hidden. So... We're talking about, you know, uh, activist groups, could be businesses, lawyers, regulators, politicians, people, scientists that want to be rich and famous. Um, you know, anybody, any sort of, you know, hidden agenda that is relying on obviously bad science. Gotcha. So let's talk about this bad science, right? Um, and, and obviously this leads to the conversation that we're seeing in 2019, that is climate change. Now, I'm you know old enough to remember back when it was global warming, and I'm sure that you can think back to the several iterations that were there before global warming, global cooling, whatever it may be at the time. Exactly. So let's kind of walk through what was it that got you so involved in the climate discussion or just the, the larger global warming, global cooling discussion? Okay, so as I mentioned, I... I since 1990, I've been working on these issues. And, um, you know, I, I started working on them because when I first started working on environmental issues, you know, say I ran in, I was working on a pesticide and people would say, oh, this pesticide causes cancer. And I would say, well, how do you know that? And, and so they point me to all resources and I would you know, go through them and go through all the science and everything and pretty much pretty quickly find out that there's really no science here. This is just all guesswork. And I mean, it's guesswork, not not without a reason, but it's just basically guesswork. And so I learned pretty quickly to just question everything when it comes to the environment. And so global warming was a natural. I mean, um, you know, uh, people were so certain about what was happening and they had never been right in the past. And just, you know, the, the data that is used in global warming is terrible. The understanding is poor. Uh, for example, you know, the historical network of temperature stations around the world, there's 1,200 thermometers. And, and while that sounds like a lot, the Earth has 196 million square miles. And if you do the math, that works out to about one thermometer for a landmass the size of California. Uh, and, and, you know, California has many different temperatures. What is the average temperature? The whole thing is just crazy. And then, you know... <laughs> So, so the science, the science is suspect, and and you know all these claims about extreme weather. Well, this weather's always happened before, and in fact, you know, as far as warming is concerned, well, we know that it was a lot hotter in terms of extreme temperatures in the 1930s than it is today. So there's a lot of questions about the science, but then you start running into, you know, so who is pushing this scare? And you know, global warming basically uh, got started at the UN by Margaret Thatcher, who wanted to break the British. Um, coal unions by pushing the nuclear industry. And the way to do that was to say that coal emissions 
we're causing global warming. Uh, or to start hiking. I mean, she wasn't the first one to invent that theory, but she's the one that pressed it so that the UN picked it up. And then you have this whole host of characters uh, from, you know, James Hansen at NASA, the one who testified in Congress in 1988. Uh, you have you know, Michael Mann's uh, hockey stick. I call it the hokey stick. <laughs> um, you know, and then today we, you know, all the way till today we have uh, Greta Thunberg, this, 16-year-old girl from Sweden who has dropped out of school for a year so she could go around campaigning for global warming. Uh, she doesn't know one thing from another, yet she is now the face of climate change. Well, and that's the thing too, right? The, the, the younger generation, it seems in particular, and I say that as someone who myself, I am a millennial, so I can look and I guess look at the Generation Z and say, oh, those, you know, those young kids. Um, but with that being said, looking at what there seems to be the sense of we know exactly what the truth is. And that is that, you know, it's, it's what you want to call anthropogenic, you know, climate change. Humans are causing it. It's indisputable. And then you see this number, right? The 97% of all scientists in the climate field all agree. And they, they cite this number as if it is the, you know, verifiable, indisputable, God-given truth. Is their number just wrong or is there a misconception? What's the issue there? That 97% number. Well, the consensus is just invented, and the 97% number was just, it was a number pulled out of thin air, who, uh, you know, several activist researchers that sort of worked backwards to, you know, justify a number like that. Uh, it's completely meaningless. Uh, never, I mean, there, there are plenty of places around the internet that, uh, that debunk that. Um, I've never seen a, you know, there's no scientific consensus, and science is not done by consensus to start with. And when you say the scientific consensus, that is junk science. There is no scientific you – know, something is, is scientific and it is correct or it is not. There's no, when you have consensus, that's politics. Right, and that's – it's actually funny you mentioned that because I think there's a very similar um, correlation between the way that a lot of people more – I'd say just you – know, I, I don't like generalizations, but more of those on the left – tend to look at things more through, you know, this, this democratic, you know, 50 plus one majority. Like as long as we all plus one agree that this is the truth, it has to be the truth. And it just doesn't, it doesn't fit into the actual processes of the scientific method where there is no consensus. Like you say, it it really is what is verifiably true versus not. Yeah. And, and the whole way, the whole consensus thing has worked out, you know, if, uh, if you remember from 10 years ago, Climate Gate, we're coming upon the 10th anniversary of Climate Gate. Mm-hmm. Climate Gate kind of, you know, we had always been saying that uh, journals were being intimidated from publishing articles by people who didn't tow the, you know, climate alarmist line. And so Climate Gate validated all that in spades uh, for us. And uh, so, you know, journal editors were being bullied into not publishing papers. Um, and then, you know, climate became extremely political during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can only get money from a university or from the federal government if you were towing the climate alarmist line. So that's what's happened. And, yeah, there's a lot of papers out there. You know, if you're a scientist in a university and you want to get funding from the federal government, the way to do that, you know, even if you like study squirrels, is to say, well, I'm going to study the effect of climate on squirrels and you'll get your money. Right. Because uh, they know what the outcome is going to be. Climate is bad for squirrels, therefore we must you know, become communists. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so that, that, I mean, that's so you, you have a lot of university scientists and every institution in America basically 
has has fallen hook, line, sinker for climate alarmism because that's for them that's where the money is. So that that's a point I actually wanted to kind of address a little bit more in detail. Now I'll kind of play devil's advocate here, right? Um, so I have a lot of good friends who are you know they're in in the sciences, whether it's the hard sciences or the the social sciences. But um, you know a lot of my friends who are in you know PhD tracks or they have their PhDs. Uh, whenever I say, well, you know, I, I bring up what you just said, you know, a lot of the, the funding that goes towards these different ventures, it incentivizes the the researcher to find the conclusion that the funding is trying to promote from a policy perspective. And yeah. they, they, they vehemently disagree. They say, no, no, because in our scientific community, there are standards that are held between, you know, the, the, the different, you know, peer reviewed articles and, and making sure that you're hitting, you know, the, the various sources and people wouldn't go out of their way to manipulate data or not just manipulate data, but just misrepresent data in order to obtain funding. So yeah. where, where are they, where's this disconnect coming from? All I, all, those I, all I can say is they haven't been around very long. <laughs> There's, there are loads of incentives in every field to publish junk science. And I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, uh, my training is really in public health and epidemiology, uh, biostatistics. And, um, you know, people really don't understand data quality. They really don't understand statistics. And, and the vast majority of studies today rely heavily on statistics and poor quality data. Uh, you know, we have a huge scientific um, uh, you know, publication industry, they're desperate for papers a lot of times. Today, scientists get paid, or they'll pay to publish their papers. They're not any good, but they publish them anyway, because, you know, in universities, publish or perish. Uh, it's, it's, it's really an awful situation. It's been going on for a very long time. Uh, you know, so, so we take, let, let's take someone like Paul Ehrlich, who mm-hmm. is a full professor at Stanford University. Since the mid-1960s, he's been raving about how you know the world is coming to an end. He predicted mass famine, 200 million starvation deaths in the 1970s. It was never correct. The guy's never been right in his life. However, he remains a full professor at Stanford. He is even a member of the uh, prestigious National Academy of Sciences. The guy's never been right. I mean, he has made outrageous predictions. He's always wrong, always. I mean, I'm happy to debate him anytime, anyplace. He's always wrong. Yet, he, you know, he's a full professor at Stanford. So mm-hmm. I publish JunkScience.com. He's a full professor at Stanford. Who are you going to believe? You know, so right. that's how it goes. Yeah, well, and it's like, you know, you have somebody like Peter Schiff who, who really, back in 2004, identified the housing crisis, gets yeah. called a loon because, oh, there's nothing happening, and then four years later it yeah. happens. I mean, it's, right. it's almost the exact same thing. Right, right. So, so uh, yeah, so, uh, that, that leads to my next question. So what is it that's keeping the... Folks like you, like, you know, let's say in the economic worlds, like the Peter Schiff's or the Tom Woods or Bob Murphy's of the world, what's keeping this group of people who seem to be having a pretty darn good track record and actually stating what's actually happening or where things aren't happening in your case, and yet you're considered to be, you know, an outside radical voice versus the, you know, the Ehrlichs of the world who had been proven consistently wrong, yet they're still heralded, or like the Paul Krugman's of the world, they're still heralded as these great intellectual thinkers that are leading our world forward. Right. Well, apparently uh, there's a huge demand for scoundrels and scoundrelism. <laughs> uh, you know, when you get to climate, climate has a lot of agendas at, at work, right? There's the financial agenda. You know, if you're, if you're in the solar or wind industry, uh, you want those subsidies, 
um, that, you know, guaranteed subsidies or you want to build electric cars because you get guaranteed subsidies to, you know, so there's money there for that. Uh, there's a political agenda. If you're on the left and you want global government or you want government to control the economy, um, well, global warming is great because as you can tell from just listening to the Democrat debates, I mean, they want to tell you, you know, what kind of bag you should throw your kitchen trash away in, whether you should, you know, they want you to stop eating cheeseburger. I mean, they want to tell you everything, you know, they want to direct all parts of your life. In 2009, I wrote a book called Green Hell, How Environmentalists Plan to Control Your Life and What You Can Do About It. And it's all about how environmentalists want to control every aspect of your life. So it's a political movement. It's got nothing to do with the environment. And let's take it to where we are now in 2019, right? So just this past uh, past week before our recording, we had what was a pretty much a worldwide movement of these students doing a, a global climate strike, right? So yeah. it seems that there has been a much larger um, group of the younger generation, particularly now, who are looking at this issue of climate change, and they're they're you know full in. They're, they're they've bought the, the narrative hook, line, and sinker. We are going to be extinct in like ten years. Like there's nothing we can do unless we do radical action now. What's happened? What's what's happened even for well, my generation? So so uh, global warming hysteria, climate bedwetting, as I like to call it on Twitter. Um, has been part and parcel of the secondary education curriculum and primary education curriculum for the last 20 years. So it's all these kids have ever heard. And you know, the world is coming to an end. They can't understand why no one is, is uh, doing anything about it. And I don't know about uh, when you were in school, but when I was in school, there was no way they were giving us free passes <laughs> to go protest the government. Yep. Not happening. So that's how things like Friday, last Friday, happened. I mean, schools let them out. These kids are going to have fun. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, they've they've heard the propaganda. They've memorized it. And, you know, maybe some maybe some of them take it seriously. Um, but you know, there there there's nothing there. They, these kids have been brainwashed. You know, the ones like Greta Thunberg. I think she's a victim of ideological child abuse. Um, you know, the whole thing's just nuts. And then as an added factor, if you, you know, people don't really talk about this that much. Uh, uh, earlier this year, Angela Merkel, the chancellor of Germany, let the cat out of the bag. The, the Russians are funding uh, this kid's climate movement because they want to, you know, destabilize Western economies. They, you know, they want uh, Germany to get off coal and get on to Russian gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, like, they like the kind of chaos that we saw in France earlier this year with the Yellow Jacket. Yeah, they like that kind of stuff. They like this chaos in America, too. They like, you know, this 16-year-old from Sweden coming over here and, you know, Democrats have embraced her totally to the point where, boy, you can't even criticize her at all. If you do, you're an awful person. Yep. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so. Well, it's eerie because, like, I'm seeing very similar parallels. Much to what we saw back in February of 2018 in the the shootings in, uh, in Florida with David Hogg pretty much taking over this entire, you know, anti-gun movement and using the sensationalist, you know, narrative that was being promoted from using a tragedy, more or less, to then 
try to, to use kids as a means to promote a political or policy-driven change. And I mean, I myself, like, I don't care what people's positions are on either you know, guns or climate change or, or you name the, the hot-button issue, but to yeah. see there's such a pointed effort by those people in power right now that are adults, and they're using kids as pawns to promote a political agenda. I mean, it, I don't know how anybody on the left can look at this and say, oh, this is a great thing. Like, this just feels icky all well, over it. Yeah, because it, it what is important to the left is getting the power. That's all they care. They don't care what they have to say, what they have to do, who they have to kiss to get it. They want the power. That's what the game is all about. And it's unfortunate that you know, most people are just kind of unaware of this. And, and, and they think, oh, this is honest disagreement. No, <laughs> there's no honest disagreement going on. They are trying to stampede us. And they've tried everything. You know, Al Gore tried his movie. There have been a million other attempts. Now they have, uh, you know, Greta coming to America, all trying to stampede us into some sort of global, well, at least a, a, a national climate regime. You know, the you know places like France and China and Russia and Germany, they'd like to see the U.S. crippled with climate regulation. And we, under President Obama, we were well on our way there. We absolutely were. But yeah, and then this is the part that astonishes me, right, is that I see a, a great number of folks more in the Republican conservative camp who maybe aren't on board 100% with man-made climate change, but they're at least starting to listen to the argument. So I'll give you an example. I mean, Ben Shapiro, for all the things he does a lot well, I mean, this is one thing, I forget which Sunday um, special it was, but he had a guest on his show, and basically he conceded, yes, we're having climate change taking place, and yes, humans are, you know, a, a main proponent, a main cause of this. And even 10 years ago, that was not an argument that I really heard anybody on the right making. And actually, it's funny. There's um, well, a, a libertarian thinker named Michael Malice. He has a, an expression that a lot of times conservatism is just liberalism driving the speed limit. Um, so is, is, is it just that the left is is so far ahead of where the right is that they're just trying to keep up now? Or is there something that's happened that people are starting to like say, oh, maybe this is actually something we should look at? Well, I like Ben Shapiro, but I mean, yeah. You know, everybody says they care about the environment, but few people really want to take the time to learn anything about it. And so I'm afraid that he's just been stampeded into saying that, you know, I mean, climate change, I mean, it's true, climate change has always been happening, always will happen, but it happens at a pace that's not really discernible to anybody. Do humans have an impact on climate? Well, of course, all you need to do is look at your evening weather map and you'll see that urban areas are warmer and rural areas are cooler. Mm-hmm. But, but that's not really, you know, when, when he starts talking about those, he's not really qualifying them like I just did. He is kind of, he's buying into the narrative and just looking for some, you know, non-communist way of, <laughs> of, of controlling the climate, which is impossible. There's, and, 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 and you know, uh, he, he's just being a useful idiot for the left. And I know that there are a lot of Republicans that feel this way. You know, but as I said, everyone cares about the environment. No one wants, no one wants to learn anything about it. Republicans, they're, they're terrible on it. And I, you know, I can kind of understand why. I mean, you know, there's science and math and economics, as well as politics and the environment. Then you have air pollution and water pollution and chemicals and toxic waste. It means all these different topics. And it really... You know, it takes time. I've been working on this for 30 years, um, and a few people have that kind of background. So I kind of understand no one knows what they're talking about, but I wish they would just say, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. 
Right. Well, and let's let's kind of look at the people right now who they think they know what they're talking about, but they really don't. Um, you have the, the the squad, AOC and her team leading the Green New Deal. Uh, you have a group of uh, a large group of, of kids, more or less, who are leading this this global climate strike. And then you mentioned Greta Thunberg, who's you know, go. She went to the UN and she basically did a, a whole speech on how terrible it is that her generation is ruined. So mm. let's oh. it, let's really quickly walk through um, just based on your experience there, Steve. What what do you think? are the top things that these activists want to see accomplished from a government perspective to quote-unquote tackle climate change? Well, they just want to see the government in charge of the economy. You know, um, Ocasio-Cortez has got an entire political agenda, and part of that is controlling the economy through the environment. You know, it's only part of her agenda. Uh, You know, her, her former chief of staff actually said climate wasn't part of the original you know, Green New Deal, it's just some socialist, but but they, they slipped it in there. So now, I mean, you know, that's what she is after. Uh, Greta, I don't know, you know, Greta was put up to this by her, her uh, you know, stage mom. Uh, her, 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 both her parents were in show business and and they put her up to this. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what she hopes to get out of this. She might be one of those people looking for fame and fortune. And maybe this is, you know, helping her with her, her own uh, emotional problems. Uh, apparently, she was in a severe depression until uh, because of global warming, and it lasted for several years. And I guess this activism is helping her get whatever. <laughs> I don't want to go communist because she needs therapy. Uh, these kids, well, I think a lot of kids skip school on Friday because they just want to skip school, right? Go have some fun and, mm-hmm. and make some noise. Um, it, you know, there's 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 something in it for everybody. So let, this is the part I don't get. Where is the disconnect? So you look at what the free market does, right? The free market has already helped get natural gas to be cheaper, number one, than the alternative means. But also it's producing 50% fewer emissions than, than coal. We have nuclear power out there that recently is really, it's been made a lot safer. Um, and it's producing essentially zero emissions. And you have companies out there, I mean, for example, carbon engineering, they're working on machines that are literally sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. And yet... When these alternatives that are actually accomplishing the goals of the the climate change, you know, the pro-government takeover of the economy to help structure things in a pro-climate change way, they completely ignore the things that are already being done because they're being done from free market. Where is this cognitive dissonance coming from? Well, it's not cognitive dissonance. They're not interested in the climate. Obviously, if you thought that carbon dioxide and and, uh, other greenhouse gas emissions were going to end the planet then you would embrace nuclear power. Right. Because there's no emissions. Right? You would embrace natural gas because it's less than half the emissions of coal. Uh, you would you would do these things, but but they don't. Okay, they, they don't want nuclear power. They're, they expressly don't want nuclear power. They don't want natural gas. Well, <laughs> how are we going to maintain our standard of living or any kind of standard of living without these things? Um, I, I, you know, and I think this is a great point you raised. I mean, this this shows that it's not about the climate. Um, I, it's certainly unrealistic to think that you can just throw some switch and all of a sudden we don't emit any more greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole notion, uh, and I'll just take it one step further, you know, uh, AOC and these kids and uh, Democrats in Congress and even the few Republicans, uh, you know, they, they want to put a carbon tax in the United States. They want to raise the price of electricity, gasoline, and basically every consumer product. 
But what for? I mean, the math is pretty simple. The U.S. is only a small part of global emissions, and, and you can do this, and I've done it on junkscience.com. Um, you know, if, if the U.S. shut down no emissions today, no emissions for the rest of the century, um, it, it would make precious little difference in terms of the atmosphere concentration of greenhouse gases or carbon dioxide. So what's really the point? I mean, if you're, you know, if, if, if you're really uh, worried about the environment, um, you know, go to China. Right? <laughs> China is like right. the filthiest place on earth right now, as all communist societies are. Uh, the air is terrible. Uh, you know, they, 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 they mine in the most filthy, dirty way possible. There's basically no environmental regulation over there. It's just, it's a mess. So if you're really concerned about the environment, you would go there. We have the cleanest environment in the world, especially considering, you know, our, you know, industrialized uh, nature. So I mean, there's a huge disconnect, and you know, once again, these kids have been brainwashed in school. I don't really expect much from the kids. Um, you know, even conservative kids have been brainwashed in school. They really don't know one thing from another. And unless you make the effort to go ask the question, how do you know this is true? Which is what I did 30 years ago when I first got in the environment. I didn't know anything about the environment. I mean, I had a background in you know science and statistics, and I was a lawyer. I didn't know anything about the environment, but people would start making statements like this causes cancer and I would chase it down. How do they know? And I got so good at this. I got actually got hired by the Department of Energy um, to, to do report on this, you know, uh, they're called science policy assumptions and how they determine something causes cancer. Uh, and it was a real eye opener. I mean, a lot of this environmental hysteria is just made up and we could go for hours and hours about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and like, I guess the, the one thing I want to kind of raise up from that as well is that a lot of people seem to have a, a disconnect between being in favor of conservation um, yeah. and then looking right. at climate change and thinking yeah. that they're the same thing. You, you can be a conservationist and, and care for the environment without trying to take over the government to enact these absolutely rabid policies that are going to destroy the market and actually accomplish nothing of, of real substance. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that's really important to address. Yeah, no, you know, um, in 50 years ago, uh, you know, late 60s, 1970, um, you know, we got, we, we got more serious about the environment and we cleaned the air, we cleaned the water. Uh, in the 80s, we started focusing on these, you know, improperly disposed of uh, waste, you know, toxic, so-called toxic waste sites, super fun waste sites. And so um, over time, we have cleaned up our environment and we've been good stewards and conservation is great, but it's got nothing to do with global warming. I mean, you know, carbon dioxide is plant food. And, uh, today we, you know, if, if purpose of conservation is to green the world or keep the world green, well, the world is greener than ever before because of all the con- uh, carbon dioxide we put in the air. And as between it getting warmer or colder, well, we'd rather have it get slightly warmer than slightly cooler because slightly cooler would cause crops to fail and we'd have famine like they did in the, you know, uh, during the Little Ice Age in the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries. So uh, this conservation has got nothing to do with climate, although, you know, I, there's a Republican group, a new Republican group called the Roosevelt Conservation Caucus or something like that. And, and they're trying to use this conservation cover, you know, the Teddy Roosevelt, um, liking national parks, but they want to lobby for climate regulations and a carbon tax. And that's just a, you know, no-go for me. I, you know, mm-hmm. my business put those people out of business. 
<laughs> so let's um let's kind of end on this. What would you uh, lay out, Steve, as like the ideal um the ideal policy when looking at both the environment but also um looking at air quote climate change? What do you see as the best means as a society, both for our our Earth's health and our health, but also for our economic health going forward? Well, I think we used to have this, you know, in the um. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was a fairly rigorous debate about the environment. Sometimes you got the right answers, sometimes you got the wrong answers. But you could have a debate about it. You could even go into court, into federal court and, and litigate with the federal government about these things. And the important part was that all viewpoints get aired. But that's those days are over. I mean, the you know, the um, People like me, we are, they try to shut us down. They call us climate deniers, whatever the hell that means. I mean, they're trying to liken us to Holocaust deniers. It's, yep. it's really sort of a disgusting abuse and disrespect of the Holocaust and everything and a total misrepresentation of what people like me are all about. All, all we want is to have a fair hearing of the facts. And, you know, what, what really upset me, I guess, when I first started out in this business was, you know, people were making up making uh, making these assumptions and calling them science. And they would say, well, this causes cancer, therefore we must regulate. And so my problem with that is, you, you know, you can say, well, we're not really sure, the science doesn't really show this causes cancer. We're concerned, but, you know, there's no evidence, but we want to regulate. I can understand that, okay? I mean, that's being honest. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Maybe there's no evidence, but we're concerned, so we want to. Re- okay, that's fine. You know, we can talk about that. What are the costs of regulating? But with climate today, it's just it's you know absolute certainty. I mean, you, if if you heard Greta yesterday in the UN, I mean, she knows she knows that we are destroying the planet. We are destroying her future. Uh, AOC said that there was only 11 years left to save the planet, um, <laughs> and they're so certain about everything they say, and they're always wrong. So, um, you know, the perfect environment is not necessarily the perfect outcome, but it's having, it's having the ability to have a discussion mm-hmm. about what the science is, what the facts are, what the costs are, and, 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 and maybe having the politics, politics swirl around that, whether, you know, action is merited based on scientific uncertainty and potential for economic costs and that kind of thing. Um, oh, a hundred percent. And, and that, what a, see, this is why I want you to have you on Steve, because you're bringing a little bit of the common sense that's needed to have in this very non-commonsensical kind of conversation, because a lot of people don't want to have a rational, logical conversation. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much for, for trying to give a voice of reason to this very sensationalized and, and, you know, emotional topic. So, uh, for my listeners who are looking to, to learn more about junk science and they can maybe look for some different, uh, alternative answers to what's being promoted out there in climate change, where can they go ahead and find uh, some more of your work? Okay, well, so you can, my website is junkscience.com. You can follow me on Twitter at junkscience. And I, I, I have, uh, you know, I've written several books, uh, Junk Science Judo, Green Hell, and Scare Pollution, Why and How to Fix the EPA. I think these are all, all excellent reads will explain a lot of this to people that really, you know, want to know about the environment, say they care about the environment, that really makes an effort to learn about it. Amen. Well, what a good place to, to leave the episode there. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. I really Thanks, appreciate the, uh, the time, and we're looking forward to having you in the future. Anytime. 
All right, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Steve Malloy from JunkScience.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, you know the rule. Share with family and friends, and as always, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Five-star review, and as always, please, 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 I cannot say it enough, go ahead and rate a review for The Brian Nichols Show. I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, and as always, folks, if you enjoy uh, the episode, follow me on social media at B. Nichols Liberty, both on Facebook and on Twitter. Still on uh, on hold on Facebook there. Facebook decided that they're going to shadow ban me for a little bit because I was bad, so I'm in Facebook jail for sharing my memes. So no memes for a little bit. I mean, they're still there, but they're just not going to show up in your news feed. So if you want to see them, head over to The Brian Nichols Show page on Facebook. But as always, folks, it was a blast. So signing off for Steve Malloy from JunkScience.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.